Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Hello, Right Club Nation. This is Danielle Saint-Jean, one of the co-founders. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out The Rock yet? What's The Rock? Well, it's the Right Club online community, a place where you can go to find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all the podcast episodes, and hours of videos with a wide range of real estate investing, training, and education, and much more. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, on with the podcast. Hello, Right Club. It's Laurel Simmons here, and welcome to this special podcast episode. Recently, we had a special national webinar event related to the numerous Canadian federal budget announcements about real estate. We brought together a number of experts to offer their thoughts on what this can mean to you. In this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Travis Redding from DJB Chartered Professional Accountants about some of the opportunities and challenges arising out of the new budget. I'm sure you're going to find his insights helpful to your real estate investing business. Be sure to listen to the other special episodes that are all coming out over the next few weeks. Now, here is Travis Redding. It's Travis Redding from DJB Accounting, and um, he's going to be talking about REI budget uh, interpretation from the accounting perspective. Travis is a senior tax manager with DJB and an expert at finding the best strategies for real estate investors. He's also an expert in resolving tax dispute with uh, Canada Revenue Agency. And we always, always want somebody like that in our corner. So um, welcome, Travis. And um, I know I have a presentation for us, but I'm going to hand it over to you and let you go. I'll be monitoring questions in the chat. I may jump in occasionally, but it's all yours. So tell us what's going on from an accounting perspective as best you can. Thanks, Laurel. Thanks for having me, and congrats on the anniversary, everybody. Okay. Able to see the presentation there? Yes, we can. Yes. yes. Perfect. Okay, so as uh, as described, I'm a senior tax manager at DJB, and I'll be providing an overview of some of the key points in the federal budget this year. Uh, just a regular legal disclaimer. Uh, So for our agenda today, here's an overview of what we'll be discussing. So one of the main themes in the budget this year was to introduce new measures to assist with housing affordability and first-time homebuyers trying to enter the market. So the federal government has cited housing supply shortages and speculative investing to be key contributors to Canada's housing affordability crisis and has proposed new initiatives to mitigate some of those factors. The focus that I'll be the folks that I'll be speaking about will be the tax-related initiatives. However, I will go over a bit of a high-level overview of some of the key initiatives directed at real estate, as it will provide some context to the context to the rest of it. So this slide summarizes several of the key measures proposed in the budget that target affordable housing. The two that I'd like to highlight and point out here would be one, the government plans to ban foreigners from buying residential real estate in Canada for a period of two years. 
so this obviously poses a few issues as to who would fall into the definition of a non-resident or non-Canadian buyer and how will this be implemented. The second is the government is proposing to spend $4 billion over five years to assist municipalities with creating 100,000 new housing units. And these initiatives are meant to incentivize housing construction by cutting red tape and building other digitized systems related to municipal planning. The government has also proposed new green build initiatives aimed at retrofitting homes and reducing Canada's carbon footprint. So I won't spend any time going through these, but the slides will be available and you can take a look at some of these high level comments when you get some time. Now to jump into more of the tax related matters. So providing support to first time home buyers, uh, the government introduced two new personal tax credits to try to help in this area. The first is to double the first time home buyers tax credit from 5,000 to 10,000. So just keeping in mind, these tax credits are 15% of whatever the number is. So really the tax credit, the impact you see on your tax return is the tax savings moving from $750 to 1500. So this tax credit was already available. Government just doubled it. And this is a tax credit that is shared by a group of people buying the home. So if two people buy a house together, it's one credit for the, for the house rather than a credit per person. The other incentive is extending the first-time homebuyer's incentive to 2025. And what this program does is it allows first-time homebuyers to have the option of borrowing from the government to finance their down payment. Um, this does provide the government with equity in your home. So I haven't seen this widely used so far, but they, they are extending it to 2025. Likely the biggest proposal to assist first-time home buyers was the introduction of what's called the first home savings account. This allows individuals who are over 18 or over to use pre-tax dollars to earn tax-free returns on investment to save for their first home. So how this works is an individual would be able to claim a tax deduction for any money they contribute into the savings account. Any returns they earn within that account are tax-free and when they withdraw the money to buy a house, that all comes out tax-free. So it's kind of a mix between an RSP and tax-free savings account, it kind of takes the best of both of those and creates to this one account for housing. Some of the attributes of this, contributions are limited to 8,000 per year and capped at a lifetime maximum of 40,000. So if you're thinking, you know, I'll start contributing when I'm 18, that gives you about five years at $8,000 per year to hit the maximum. So you'd be about 23 with 40,000 of capital. So depending what kind of return you can get on there would kind of set the stage to um, how much that actually helps a first-time home buyer get into the market. For current homeowners, there's been this introduction of this multi-generational home renovation tax credit. So the idea of this is an attempt to alleviate some pressure from the housing supply shortages. Um, the federal government's proposing this tax credit to encourage Canadians to build secondary suites for family members. So that would mean adding a room or finishing a basement for either, you know, it could be your parents, could be your, your adult children. Um, so this has kind of been viewed by certain critics as an attempt for the government to try to shift the mindset of single family unit homes in Canada to more multi-generational homes in order to decrease the demand for new homes and putting pressure on the supply. So this credit would be available starting January 1st, 2023, and would allow taxpayers to claim a credit of up 15% on up to $50,000 of eligible renovations. 
What is an eligible renovation is yet to be seen once the legislation comes out. However, this credit raises a couple of questions that they're going to have to clarify, such as how will they how will they audit the fact that you have family members living in these uh, units? And if you do have family members living in these units, is there a time period for how long they have to live there in order for the credit to actually be applied? So a couple of questions that have come out of that, and uh, we'll wait to see what, what goes through the legislation. We're going to take a quick break from the show. Hey, Right Club Nation, I just wanted to take a quick moment here. It is Sarah Larby, and I'm here with Laurel Simmons, and we have some really exciting news for you. And we heard you, we heard your emails, and we are going to be bringing you Right Club Nation online, coast-to-coast, accessible at any time of day, and you can be in your pajamas like I am right now, and you can access our great contents. And what is going to be that content, Laurel? Well, we have videos, recordings of live events that we've held. We have webinars. We have, we'll have our podcast information up there. We'll have uh, forums and chat groups and all kinds of things. You'll even be able to find services and products that you need in your neighborhood, local for you, because we know how important it is that you have your local team with you. We're going to be rolling things out very quickly. And as we start, you'll see more and more stuff come along. And we really want you to join and become part of our online community. Absolutely. This is the first, and in my opinion, it was going to be the best Canadian online community of real estate investors and like-minded individuals. So guys, come and grow with us. Join our online community, register, and come and say hi and check out the amazing things. Yeah, and all you have to do is go to therightclub.com and you'll find us there. It's easy to register, it's free, and hop on. We can't wait to see you there. Guys, come and grow with us. And now, back to the show. Um, So I'm just going to jump in here, Travis. That means that... um, for, for real estate investors, though, like if we have several properties, then and we want to put, say, like a secondary suite, that doesn't really affect us, does it, as a real estate investor? Or does it? Or is that a gray area? The government hasn't decided yet. I wouldn't say, uh, it, it's, let's say it's gray right now because they haven't, they haven't released the rules, but the guess is it's going to be on your primary residence. Okay. Likely where it goes, but again, we'll see, we'll see how that uh, plays out. When it comes to property flipping, so the government has also proposed initiatives to make house flipping more expensive because they identified speculative investment as a key contributor to Canada's rising house prices. They think this is an area they need to kind of try to cool. So two ways they're trying to do that. One is through income tax. So there's been an introduction of a new deeming rule to ensure profits from flipping residential real estate are always subject to full taxation rather than the more favorable capital gains tax. So what that means is currently right now, if you have a rental property and you sell it, you have a capital gain that's taxed at 50%. They're trying to come out with a rule now that if you buy that property and sell it within the first 12 months of owning it, that sale is actually going to be business income taxed at 100% inclusion instead of 50%. This goes a bit further to say that if it's your principal residence and you sell it within 12 months of purchasing it, you don't get to claim the principal residence exemption on it. And what that exemption is, that's the mechanism Canadians use to be able to sell their homes on a tax-free basis. If the government takes that away, now those houses will be taxed at whatever profit you, you can get off of it when you sell it. But again, that's for 
if you sell it within the first 12 months of purchasing it. Now, having said that, the government has alluded to an exception to the rule, and that's if there's a qualifying life event that is the reason that you sold the property so fast. So they haven't defined a qualifying life event, but it's been speculated that it's likely going to include things such as divorce, death of a spouse, or moving to a new house for a new job. And I'm going to jump in again. Um, sure. um, so for real estate investors, I think, I mean, people who treat real estate investing as a business, this is really not much of a change because I know with Danielle and I, I mean, it's a business and we know that and it's the all about the intention, right? It's like we intend to buy properties and sell them. It's our business. So this doesn't really affect people who treat it as a business. Is, is, am I reading that correctly? If you're in the business of flipping, if you're in the business of having multiple rental units, that might have, that might have gotten capital gains treatment. It might have? It really? might have, yeah, depending on, depending on how it's being operated. But if you are buying and just to improve it and then sell it, that, that would be considered business income. Right, right, okay, so, right. Okay, thank you. No, no problem. So the second way that they're trying to cool this market is through HST on assignment sales. So I don't know, I'm assuming everyone's familiar with assignment sales, but it's if you assign the mortgage to another party right before closing. So prior to May 7th of this year, HST was applicable on assignment sales. However, there was an exception that would deem HST to not be applicable if the assignor was selling the house due to a change in life circumstances. So it sounds similar to the other rule that we just talked about. Subsequent to May 7th now, the exception is eliminated and any assignment sales will be subject to HST. That HST is only payable on the assignment fees, not any reimbursements of deposits the assigners already paid. And you're only subject to HST once, once those fees go above $30,000. The government has also proposed changes to the FAPI regime in Canada. Um, and FAPI, or foreign accrual property income, is uh, a set of rules in, in the Income Tax Act to prevent Canadians from benefiting from certain tax deferral opportunities that would otherwise be available when earning passive income through a controlled foreign affiliate corporation. So these rules are actually some of the most complex in the act. So they're outside of the scope of our discussion as I could spend half a day talking about it. But uh, the, the key takeaway here is that there's proposed changes to these rules and it could result in a loss of a tax deferral if you're a Canadian investor who's investing in say US real estate through a US corporation. Well, that's really interesting. And again, I'm going to jump in. So um, like some of us, like we just bought some, some stuff in um, or have contract uh, properties under contract in Costa Rica. So we might going to look at it. We might look at it in relation to this because we also have a Costa Rican um, corporation. So that, that's the kind of thing you're talking about when you have corporations yes. from other countries and they bought properties and all that kind of thing. That's right. And the reason I mentioned the U.S. is because there's some complicated formulas in there, but the way that it ends up working out in the end with the U.S. Canada-U.S. tax treaty is you could get yourself into a position where that so-called FAPI income earned in the U.S. is actually tax-free until you bring it back to Canada. 
So depending what country you're invested in, you'd have to do an analysis of the treaty Canada has with that country to see where you'd fall and what kind of tax rate would come out of it. And now the small business deduction. So this may be relevant to those investors that have real estate in active business operations. So in Ontario, the small business deduction allows certain corporations to be taxed at the small business tax rate of 12.2% on its first $500,000 of what's called active business income. Without this deduction, then these corporations would be subject to the general corporate tax rate of 26.5%. So there's a significant spread in that tax rate. To ensure that the $500,000 business limit is restricted to small business corporations, the $500,000 limit has historically been reduced when the corporate group's taxable capital is between $10 million and $15 million and then completely phased out when this taxable capital is above 15 million. So taxable capital, you can think of it as your long-term investment assets minus any liabilities you have against them, such as a mortgage. The federal budget now has proposed increasing that $15 million upper limit to 50 million in order to expand access to the small business deduction to certain medium-sized businesses. So above 10 million, you're not gonna get the whole 500,000, but now the phase-out period is much greater so that you can still benefit from, from something from that deduction. So in closing, uh, I know there's a lot of information. So the budget has been criticized for releasing numerous new initiatives with no indication of how they will be implemented. Although the budget proposes initiatives to increase the supply of housing, critics have noted that the forecasted population growth in Canada and immigration targets of over 400,000 people per year over the next three years is set to far outpace the growth in housing supply. So all these factors considered signal demand for housing is still going to be going up and could push prices up further. We're going to take a quick break from the show. Enjoying this podcast? Then you might want to listen to REI branded podcast too. If you're looking to build your real estate investing business, reach more people and stand out from the competition, and you want to listen to the REI branded podcast. My name is Paul Copcut, and every day I work with busy real estate investors like you who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right business opportunities without having to attend all the networking events, Zoom meetings, be glued to social media, or feel too salesy. I love figuring out the latest strategies, hacks, and ideas that help them do that. And I want to share with you what works and what doesn't. That's why the REI branded podcast is for you. It's about marketing your real estate investing business, but from a brand perspective, because marketing is how you get their attention, but branding is why they choose you. On the REI branded podcast, we look to decode and uncover what makes a real estate investor brandtastic and how you can apply it to your own real estate investing business to attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time. Go to your favorite podcast app to download or find us at reibranded.com. Thank you. And now back to the show. Wow. Wow, thanks. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's just so much to unpack, right? And there's not, there's not, we don't know all the details and, and the devil truly is in the details here in, in this, right. but we do have a question for you um, from Anthony. He said that um, I read in a blog that HST is now payable on the deposit as well not just on the assignment fees on assignment. I guess if you put it like, uh, I'm not quite sure, but if it is, so I guess the question is, is H, will HST be applicable to deposits that people are putting on, um, on say, say a pre-construction condo or something? 
Yeah, so I don't know if the timing of that has changed. I know HST was applicable on new bills anyways at closing. I don't know if there's been a change now to apply that on the deposits as well. Okay, all right, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.